When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Hi, and thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I'm your host, Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Rachel Barnabel fried And I spoke with her a while ago. It feels like a lifetime ago now that we're in this COVID-19 lockdown quarantine situation. But what strikes me is that a lot of the things we talked about that relate to being a new parent and perinatal mental health are kind of a crossover to some of the experiences that we're dealing with now with the newness of needing to be in quarantine. And I'm not saying being in quarantine is the same as being a new parent, but there is some similarity in that most of us have never had to be in this situation before. And likewise, with new parents, oftentimes, or new mothers mostly, they are in the situation where they're at home and dealing with a situation, parenting that's completely new to them. So I think there is some crossover here, which is um, not what we intended when we first spoke, but I think it's there. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Dr. Rachel Barnable-Fried has a lot to share, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, thank you so much for joining me today on The Family Brain. This is the first recording in the series on perinatal mental health. And I didn't actually even know what that word meant until I started putting out out there that I wanted to do postnatal and people were talking about, you know, that there's this whole spectrum of before when you're considering having a child, when you're pregnant and then post. Um, So I'm excited to talk to you, but I also just wanted to hear first a little bit about your background and sort of what got you interested in this field. Um. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be on. I um, listen to your podcast and I love listening to the interviews that you have with folks. And what got me, so I'm a clinical psychologist um, and I work with, mostly at this point, I work with adolescents and couples and families. Um, But I got interested in perinatal health because it was something that I had to deal with myself. Um, One of the best things about my 
practice about my work is that it's been able to grow and change along with me. So I train to work with kids and adolescents. And then, you know, as I got older and I got married, I started working with couples and then we wanted to have children. So I got really interested in, as you said, perinatal health issues and perinatal, as you like defined it so well, is all of the time around pregnancy. So it's women who are trying to get pregnant, pregnant, and up to the year after birth. I have three kids and I am a, you know, clinical psychologist and I have um, lots of friends and family members who are in the field. And it took me kind of studying and learning about perinatal health concerns to realize that I had had my own challenges. And so, you know, that's really what got me sort of really super interested in it. Um, So I know you don't have um, like, well, maybe you do have superpowers, but I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about uh, around 20% of women experience, you know, some sort of like mental health shift during that stage. To me, that seems like a ridiculously small number. Like, and how, how would we know even because there's so many people that don't seek help. How would we know? I don't know. To me, it seems like it's almost the norm to have some sort of mental health shift go on when you have something so big happen in your life. Right. So I don't know what statistic you were actually looking at. And statistics, okay. as we know, can kind of say a lot of different things. Sure. So, and, and especially when we're talking about this really broad range, right? You're talking about before pregnancy, pregnancy, and then the year after pregnancy. That's like a really long period of time. And, you know, if you're talking about women who have multiple pregnancies, then you're talking about even longer, right? So I think if you, you can certainly broaden it to say that most people have some sort of significant shift in their mental health during that time. But usually the statistics talk about people who really um, are having some sort of mental health crisis, right? Okay. So even that I think can, can differ between people. Right. And even how you just define crisis, you know what I mean? Like, I think some people, but anyway, it's interesting. So when I first started working, I worked for a little while at a OBGYN clinic and uh-huh. I was talking to them about, well, what if I went in when people are, you know, in, in all of these stages and talk to people about the fact that they might need some support, at, you know, or might need, or here are some things that could happen. And they were kind of like, well, we don't want to scare them off, you know, or something like that. And, and to me, I know, to me, that's what I'm trying to do with this recording series is just yeah. kind of remind people that it's probably pretty typical to have some sort of change, whether it feels horrible or if it feels wonderful or if it feels like you can get the support you need in your community or you can't, that it's pretty typical. You know, I, I agree with you 100%. And I'm actually like, the, um, I'm sort of, I'm the person who literally walks up to people, you know, in the, in the, I mean, not actually in a coffee shop, but for instance, I just was talking to my, um, to, I go, I work out at like a, you know, uh, like a boot camp place. And one of the instructors is pregnant and I went, and I don't know her that well. And I went up to her and I was like, I just want you to know that it's totally normal to have these, experiences. And I think one of the things to remember, and one of the things that I always talk about when I'm working with folks is like, there is no other change in your life that is 
as monumental as becoming a parent. So to think that we're going to slip from one, like from one phase into the next without any hiccups is just naive. Growth requires pain and discomfort. Right. So I think it's just misguided to think that by not talking about something, you know, we're going to make it better or the, the reverse of that by like, that if we, if we talk about it, that's going to upset people. Right. And I think that even now having a little bit of distance from when I had little babies, I can see where sometimes people with the best of intentions make mistakes around that. Like, oh, isn't it the best time? And isn't it this? And isn't it that? And it's like, you can look back on something 20 years later and be like, oh, that was so such a sweet time. I even do that now looking back at pictures like, oh, how sweet that was. And then I remember really more the details of it. And maybe it wasn't as sweet as I'm remembering. Um, But even my sister, she called me right after she had her baby and she was like, um, upset and she was like why didn't you tell me it's so hard and I was like what words could I have used you know what I mean like so I'm kind of hoping that with through all all of these you know recordings there's more more just more conversation around it and that everybody's experience is going to be different just based on who you are and where you are and what happens to open the communication I think you know it's not even people who I certainly think you know it's not people who are meaning and like ill meaning. Right. So for instance, I think my story is fairly typical where with my first birth, I had this idea of like what the birth was going to be like. And, you know, I thought I was gonna, you know, labor naturally and, you know, um, and I did for 40 plus hours. And then I ended up with an emergency C-section, which was extremely traumatic for me. And then my baby ended up in the NICU mm. for a week. So not only did he end up in the NICU, but like I had to leave him in the NICU to go home. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, that's like a really typical kind of story where it doesn't match the actual story that's happening doesn't match with what our expectations or hopes are. And then I remember feeling really overwhelmed and talking to, you know, my dear friends or my family members who are mental health professionals, right. And talking about how overwhelmed I felt and how anxious I felt and them saying to me like, Oh, it's going to be fine. Right. And, and it was fine ultimately, but I remember sitting on the floor, um, watching the monitor, you know, to see if he was, you know, breathing or not. Mm-hmm. And like thinking to myself, like, I don't think this is normal. Right. But it seemed to me when I was talking to people that everybody was like, you're doing great. You're doing great. And I was like, mm, I don't, I don't think I'm doing that. Right. <laughs> Same. Yeah. I had a very similar experience. And I think what's interesting is that I think sometimes people who are very competent up until parenting and like kind of have this experience of like, well, if I work really hard and I really kind of study the information, I'm going to nail this, you know, and I, it's just so separate from any other kind of experience. And there was no book or video I could have watched that really would have prepared me I mean, issues can happen to anyone, but sometimes it's the people who are extremely competent in general that will then hide because they're kind of known as competent people, you know, and it's just kind of a big, 
shift to say, oh no, it's kind of messy over here. For sure. I think, you know, I say that to folks that I work with for sure, that like, it's really hard to understand that when you have an infant, you can do one of three things in a day. You can take a nap or take a shower or go for a walk. Right. And if you are a, you know, person who's used to getting a lot of things done in the day, that seems ludicrous. Right. But if you are, you have never taken care of an infant before, right, then there's no way to really comprehend um, what's, how much work that takes, right? right? And, you know, I mean, it happens with, with adoptive parents as well as biological parents. It happens for dads as well as mom, right? Part of it has to do with this shift that's happening. Your whole identity that you have spent you know, however long coming into shifts. And that's just, that's just Mm -hmm. tremendous. And I don't think we give enough power or credence to that. You know, we concentrate so much more on like, what's the birth going to be like, or what are we going to name it? Or like gender, the the gender reveal party or creating a nursery. And we don't spend nearly enough time really thinking about what is going to be the birth of the parent, right? You are a new person. And it has taken me personally, you know, my oldest is now 10. It's taken me like close to a decade to kind of figure out like, how do I do all these different pieces of my life in addition to the mother? I have not figured that out yet. So it's It's a work in progress for all of us. It's a challenge. I actually wanted to talk to you about that because I know that's part of your work is consulting with businesses around Uh performance. Uh And I'm wondering what your experience has been like working with moms who have, you know, that's, that's something that's very new to them. How do I re-enter the workforce? Do I want to re-enter the workforce? Do I, and, and in my mind, it's also a workforce when you stay home, you know? So like, how do you figure out what you want to do and, and make those decisions and make that space in your life. But what, what's your experience been with what people sort of go through in that thought process of making those decisions? I mean, that's a really hard question to answer. I think everybody has their own journey through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really important question for all of us to ask. I think it's really hard to figure that out. I don't know anybody who feels that they're doing it perfectly. I don't mm-hmm. think there's such thing as perfection. You know, on the good days, I feel like I'm sort of skating between the, you know, the details, right? Like it's like I'm in the the matrix. I'm kind mm-hmm. of like shifting and able to like, you know, miss whatever's being thrown at me or catch whatever's being mm-hmm. thrown at me. Um, and on the bad days, um, it feels like it's just raining chaos, but I have enough experience at this point in my own personal life. And because I have the privilege of working with folks who are trying to work the same stuff out in their lives to know that like, that's really normal, mm-hmm. right? That, that whatever image we have projected of perfection, that like, we're going to work, you know, 40 plus hours a week, then come home and like, have kids who are going to eat these really nutritious meals that we're going to perform, uh, that we're going to prepare and, um, everybody's going to get along great. Maybe one day. Yeah. One day. And you, just, here, you know, like, hold on to that day real tight in your heart. Yes. 
Um, Or, you know, even for folks who decide not to go back to work, right? That's often, that's often another huge shift, right? Um, How do you decide what's enough? And can you take time for yourself? Because, you know, the work at home is endless, but it doesn't get seen or viewed or sort of counted often in the same way as working outside of the home. Right. Well, and what I have found is that what helps me is talking to other people who are doing that work in the home and Mm -hmm. sort of supporting each other. Like we are each other's coworkers in some respect, you know, like, yeah, that does take time. It does take time and energy to get somebody out the door or to be available for doctor's appointments. And, you know, um, so that's been a big help for me, but um, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about So one of the things that was a surprise to me is that we hear about postpartum depression and it seems like, you know, celebrities will come out and say, oh, this happened to me. Um, But I don't feel like there was as much information that I knew about, about postpartum anxiety. And just like you were saying, just the constant checking of, you know, and we have like the SIDS thing and like, well, every time you get new information, I remember when, um, when my child was first born, they were talking about um, BPA and bottles and I lost my mind. I'm like, Oh, I already poisoned my child. You know, I mean, it, and it just starts to snowball. Uh-huh. What, what can you say about that? And just what to kind of look for if, if you're going through certain things that how, how do we define where, where we need additional help? So you've asked a bunch of really good questions in there. Sorry. So I'm gonna, yeah, that was a lot of, yeah. yeah I'm out. So, Postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety are two sides of the same coin. So depression and anxiety almost always come like together. It's just that one is more pronounced than the other. So um, anxiety tends to be more about like control over things in the future, right? So um, you think about like, you're irritable, you um, might feel overwhelmed, I can't do this. Um, it's a lot of the same feelings mm. in terms of like overwhelmed and I can't do this. Um, you might still feel hopeless, you might still feel ashamed, but you're more kind of focused on the future of it. What can I control in the future where like that's like the checking things come in or like the racing heart feeling? Okay. Um, whereas depression is a little bit more focused in the past. Okay. So you still might feel hopeless and right. um, overwhelmed, but it's because I'm not good enough because I haven't done all these things. Mm-hmm. And for most of us, we sort of flip flop between the two, but we sort of pick one and hang out in that one mostly. Okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. sense. Yeah, it does. It does. Because, um, yeah, I think, and it almost reminds me of like something is off, but in one, in one expression, it, the motor's just running really fast. And in one expression, the motor's just kind of, and, and it's, you can't keep the motor running fast, fast, fast. It's probably going right. to flip, you know, because it gets tired. Right. Especially and when you're sleep deprived. Yeah, yeah. Right. Which, which you are, you can't right. not be. And I think it's also really important also to, to mention this idea of baby blues and to differentiate between baby blues and actual postpartum depression. So baby blues is what happens in the first two weeks. There are tremendous 
hormonal shifts, tremendous hormonal shifts. Um, and some women tolerate them better than others, but pretty much everyone that I have asked will say that in the you know first two weeks postpartum, they found themselves crying at, for some point and not knowing why, mm-hmm. right? And it's important to know that that's actually really normal. So the tears that we cry when we are physically injured versus the tears that we cry, like emotional tears, they're actually chemically different. And so when you cry because you are upset, you're releasing these neurotransmitters that have built up in your, in your body. And it's actually your body's like natural, normal release. But some women don't expect like, oh, like you had said, oh, it's the best time. I'm supposed to be so happy. Why am I crying? I must be going crazy. It's like, no, actually, this is a really normal like experience for you. Um, and it sort of flips into the idea, uh, into the diagnosis of, um, dep- you know, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, if it's either lasting for more than two weeks or, and, or if it happens post that two week period, okay, it can happen anywhere up until a year after you have a baby. Okay. That makes sense. Well, and I think that was my experience is that I think I, um, in my own mind, I was more gentle with myself at, because, oh, I just had a baby. But as the time progressed and that baby's still a baby, but I'm like, okay, get your stuff together, Megan. Right. Come on, let's, right. let's, let's get it together. Get back in shape, get back to eating healthy, get back to hanging out with friends. And it just, I think my, um, my compassion for myself went down. And so my feelings that it wasn't good enough or I'm, I'm messing up somehow increased. Right. Um, but that it happens at different stages for everybody. And I also want to mention what I know we've been talking about parenting and new babies, and there's also loss that comes into play, which I think I just want to put that out there for anyone who's listening. And that, that I know takes things in a whole another trajectory, you know, when there's loss or there's injury during the birth, or like you said, the birth doesn't go as you expected and it's traumatizing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, I just want to put that out there that it, it, I, the circumstances can do all kinds of different things too, you know? For sure. So, you know, that happens, um, you know, that, you know, women who have been trying to get pregnant for, you know, years and years, and then they have a baby and then, you know, they're like, why am I not feeling ecstatic and overjoyed? Um, sometimes if you've had either one or, you know, some women have multiple miscarriages and there's all of the, you know, guilt or shame around like, why wasn't I able to, um, you know, carry these other babies. And then there's so much hope put in this period of time and I don't feel good. Um, there's also loss of, you know, your sense of self, right? We were talking about this idea that like, I was a competent person and now I can't even take a shower. Right. Right. Like I can't even do these like very basic self-care activities. Like what has come over me? Right. Um, There's loss of, uh, you know, your body, your body doesn't become your own. Right. So whether you're constantly holding the child or because you're breastfeeding or because you decide not to breastfeed, but people have all sorts of things to say about those choices. Right. There's a lot of loss. And I think it's a really important piece to talk about that no one wants to talk about because it's so um, sort of uh, antithetical to this idea that we have of like, oh, the, the new baby brings joy. Mm-hmm. 
It, it is. It's very, and, and it, as you were talking, I'm thinking too about my relationship with my husband and how, you know, it, there's two people usually often involved, sometimes not, but how those two experiences can be very different too. And how that not only are you dealing with this new additional family member, but it shifts how you're relating to your partner and Woo, that's a doozy because it's just like, you know, it, neither of you have done it before. And so there's different expectations on how it gets done and what's, what's, what you want to do as a family, you know, like, how do we do this thing? And um, to me, that was a big, a big shift also. Um, and I think, you know, you touched on another thing that's really important, which is, you know, it doesn't just happen around the first baby. You could have one baby and not have any, you know, depression or anxiety symptoms and then, or not have, you know, have like diagnosable level, I should say. Um, but then, you know, with each additional baby, right, you have to refigure it out. So like, then you have a second baby or a third baby or however many babies you have, then there's a whole new family system that has to get created. Right. Um, I remember uh, talking with a friend who had two kids and then had twins and she was tandem breastfeeding the twins, right? So two babies breastfeeding. And then she had these two little kids and she was sobbing to me talking about like, I don't want to, I don't want my kids on top of me. Mm -hmm. Right. But she's like, I can't have any more touch. Like there are people on top of me all the time, Mm -hmm. but she felt tremendous sadness over the loss of the closeness that she had wanted and had felt with her children previously. She felt tremendous guilt mm-hmm. around that, you know, like how could I not want my, you know, three and four year olds to be on top of me. Right. Um, and forget about like then wanting her husband to, to touch her. She didn't even want like him to scratch her back. Right. You know, and it's real. Yeah. And it's funny because I do, I mean, all of these things. Yes, 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 yes. Like I had all of those things. And now I'm trying chasing my, my 12 year old around trying to get a hug, you know, and it's just funny how it does, it will shift. But again, I think it's giving yourself the permission to say, that's okay. It makes sense. It makes sense that because you have all this input Mm -hmm. all the time, you need a break from it. You know, it's, it's not going to feel the same way as it used to, because there's a lot of it you know, and that that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are, what are some of the things that you, you see? I feel like there's also like these cultural, like you were saying, people have a lot of things to say about, you know, whether you're breastfeeding or not, or whether you're whatever it is, every topic in the world. I remember somebody was like, Oh, he should have socks on whatever, like just right. back it up, you know, right. but what do you recommend to people in terms of I mean, it's definitely been a process for me of getting stronger in that way to be able to like push aside those voices that aren't true to what I'm trying to do with my family. What do you recommend to people when, when, you know, people are giving these outside um, input and it's not, it's not healthy. It's not healthy for them to be sort of crowdsourcing information in terms of how they are doing things. That's a great question. I think there are a couple of things that come to mind for me. So first of all, the mindset that is most helpful to me is to assume that everybody's doing the best they can with what they've got. Right. So 
if I assume that someone's trying to be helpful rather than assume that someone is trying to make my life a living hell, mm-hmm. it changes my perspective about that input. Right. Right. And then I can decide, then I have more agency to decide about what, how do I want to respond? Mm-hmm. Right. So I have an example, actually. Um, when my um, now 10 year old was about three and I mean, maybe he's like two and a half, three, something like that. Um, and he had a, he had a pacifier in, you know, and he was like, we were doing, I don't remember where we were, or what we were doing. I don't even remember the story, but my husband loves it so much that he tells it. That's a legendary status now. Yeah, exactly. So some woman came up to me and said, that baby is too old to have a pacifier. And I turned to her and I said, you're too old to be butting into other people's business. <laughs> So good. And to her credit, in that moment, she said, you know what? You're right. I'm sorry. Oh. So, like, it actually worked out well. And it's not really like me, you know, to, like, have that kind of retort. Um, But I do think also the other piece is sort of self-awareness, right? So not only are there people who are coming up to you, like, at the bus stop or on the playground or in the supermarket, but also what are we choosing to look at on social media? right? What, what, um, forums are we going into? So there are a lot of forums for new moms, right? And some of them are going to be better than others. So some of them are moderated by people who have some training and some of them are not. Okay. Right. So, you know, you put out a question, um, because you're looking for some, you know, some help, some support, some resources, you have to figure out how to, um, kind of filter through what you're going to take back. Right. Right. Um, so for a lot of people, um, I think being really careful about what social media you're following and you're engaging in is really important. Okay. Right. Cause I, you know, I refer to it as fake booking, right? Because right. most of us don't put up posts that are saying like, you know, I haven't showered in two days. Um, my nipples are sore and bleeding and, um, you know, my baby just threw up all over me. Right. That's not something we post, right? We just post the pictures that are like, you know, looking, everybody's looking happy or funny or whatever it is. Right. And it is, it tricks your mind. Cause I think when you say that to people, people know that, right? Like deep down, but when you're keep, I think, but when you keep exposing yourself to those images, it's very easy to convince yourself that it's real. You know, that like, wow. I mean, if you have, I mean, most of us look at, you know, social media and, you know, do most of our like internet surfing in the liminal spaces, right? Those moments between other things. Mm-hmm. So it's like when you feel the most lonely, that's when you turn to that, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, at two o'clock in the morning when the house is cold and you've been up feeding your baby for the umpteenth time and, you know, you're all by yourself. And then you look at these photos that folks have up and you're like, that doesn't correlate with what I'm doing and how I'm feeling. There must be something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think just kind of noticing in those moments, I've had to do that with like, you know, if you're comparing yourself or if it's triggering something ongoing, just 
you can unfollow. You don't have to even like break up a whole friendship. You just unfollow, you know? And, you know, for me, just even taking, taking the apps off my phone Mm -hmm. has been a game changer because I'm much less likely to actually go to my computer and log in and, and all of that, you know, sort of those additional steps. So, you know, I think that awareness around what feelings are coming up and then sort of figuring out, you know, if this is not helping me, how do I kind of turn away for it from it for the time being? Yeah. No, I think that's very wise. And I think I'm almost thankful when I first had my son, I think Facebook was just getting going. Like, or at least I was, I mean, I'm sure it had been there, but I feel like the, the commoners like me, right. um, and I, I feel like it, it's just, it's very overstimulating all the information we have access to now. And it's a gift in a lot of ways. You can very easily Google like, you know, what's a, a good vitamin for whatever, you know, right. but it, 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 I think you're right. You just have to be thoughtful about what you're allowing into your brain space. Cause I think we like to think, oh, well, I know I'll just, I'll just let that go. But once it's in there, it's in there. You know, and it's just, it's tricky um, to, to get rid of it. And our brains are not the same, right? I mean, there are more hormones that are, that are coursing around your body during pregnancy than any other time of life. And there are moments actually that we know that there are large hormonal shifts, right? So after birth, there's a huge drop, two weeks, three months, six months. Mm-hmm. It went, you know, if you were breastfeeding, when, and if you stop breastfeeding, there's a huge shift, right? So there are all of these different moments where like women legitimately don't feel like themselves. It's like sort of the same as like adolescence where like, yes. I, I feel really different than I did, you know, a day ago. And that's legitimately true. Right. Well, and that's what I like that there's more women in the medical field now that I feel like this information is becoming accessible because when it was just male doctors, males who were being studied as the typical human, there wasn't as much talk about these things being true. And so this has been going on since people have been having babies, but it's, I, I, to me, at least it feels like it's only now or in the past, maybe 20 years, like getting more into the conversation that it's, it's something that we can talk about that, that mm-hmm. there are these shifts and this is what your body's supposed to be doing mm-hmm. and how do you manage that? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thankful for the information and I hope people listening, you know, kind of feel like it just gives permission to explore more about what's going on. You know, what is this about and where can I get good solid information about this? Who is my trusted person that I right. can ask about this? Right. Um, so, and in terms of, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, any of these kinds of mental health issues, there's really good evidence that if you get into treatment sooner and do the things you need to do to take care of yourself, like it resolves. Mm. This does not have to be something that's going to, you know, take over your life for forever. This is a very time specific issue that can, is really amenable to treatment if you get into the right treatment and you do the steps. Right. What would you recommend to people as like a first step? If somebody's listening to this and they think, oh, okay, I think maybe this is something either I want to prepare for in case, 
or, you know, just mentally. So there are a couple, I think that's a great question. And I think there's a couple of things that, you know, cause I do work with, you know, emerging families. Right. And so I do think you want to normalize mental health struggles like from the get go. Right. So if you're somebody who has anxiety and depression or has had it in the past or suffers with it, or you have a familial, you know, component where like, you know, a lot of people in your family struggle with this, it's really important for you to be aware of that fact, right? Because it's more likely to happen again, Mm -hmm. right? Talking with your partner, if you have one or making a plan on your own about what's, what's going to be my self-care plan, right? And that means like, literally, how am I going to take a shower, Mm -hmm. right? Who's going to help me with the laundry? Yeah. Right. Um, who's going to hold the baby so that I can get sleep. Mm-hmm. Right. And really writing these things out. Cause in the, in the midst of it, you're like in a war zone. You can't stop to like use your, you know, uh, cognitive abilities to think like, Oh, let me call that person. You need a mm-hmm. list of, you know, what things you're going to put in place if, and when you need them. Yeah. Um, And that was one thing I think that happened to me is that I was so used to being able to take care of things by myself that, and then it's just, it's not easy to do it by yourself. I mean, it's possible, I guess, but it's not probably optimal. Like it's, it's good to have other people at least available. I don't actually think it's possible. I think historically, historically, um, you know, if you look at like, you know, if you look back, mm, definitely a hundred years, but maybe not even that long, right? Like you had a baby and you were in a community. So like your mother was there or your aunts were there or, you know, whoever was there to help with feeding you and bathing the baby or doing the laundry or whatever, you know, taking care of the other kids, um, which I think, you know, we just don't have, we're really isolated in that way in today's world. So, you know, if you, you know, there are like in some Asian cultures, like the, the new mother is not allowed to leave the house for a month post birth. You have to have someone come stay with you. Mm -hmm. Right. And for folks who are like, you know, it, you know, sort of multicultural, that can feel also really confining. Like, you know, uh, I worked with somebody who her mother came, um, you know, from abroad to live with her for six months. And while in, you know, there was the idea of that was really nice. She was like, I can't, I can't cook any of my own food. I can't leave the house. I have to dress in this very specific way that is according to tradition. And that, you know, was, was a challenge for her. Yeah. Um, It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. I, I, I wanted help, but I also didn't want anyone there. So I don't, (laughs) right. It's not easy. You know, I think that, um, you know, there's a, there are birth doulas and then there are postpartum doulas and, um, they are women. I I don't know if there are any people who are non-women, but I know it's usually women, Mm -hmm. um, who are trained to work with, with new mothers and families. So Mm -hmm. I, with my second child, I had a, postpartum doula who like, she was like a fairy godmother, right? She would like come in. She literally rubbed my feet so I could like relax and take a nap and I would wake up and the dishwasher was unloaded. My older kid was fed and like the baby was like clean and calm. That's amazing. It's amazing. 
Yes. <laughs> it literally was like a fairy godmother. Um, you know, but what kind of music keeps you centered, mm-hmm. right? What kinds of activities are important for you? What kinds of things are going to help you get you as the new mom get centered and feel like taken care of so that you can take care of others. Right. Yeah, that's really good. And I think that it's wise to do that in advance because like you're saying, you get in that stage. It's very hard to think clearly with no sleep and you're, it's almost like there's no place for the game, you know, like you, you need the playbook in advance. For sure. Um, and, and you can't predict all the factors, but if you can sort of think about what, tends to work for you and then bring them into that space. Um, I think that's really smart. I wish I had done something like that because it was more on the job trying to remember what my normal self was. I don't think, yeah, I don't think you can plan for everything, but you know, if you have a plan, you can throw the plan out the window if it's not working, but if you don't have the plan, then you have to start from scratch. Right. No, that makes sense. Well, is there anything that you were hoping that we'd talk more about that we haven't gotten a chance to talk about? You know, I think I just really want people to know that this is a really normal experience. If you're having a hard time, it's not because you, there's something wrong with you or you've done something wrong or you're inadequate in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think going back to sort of the thing, something we were saying at the beginning, like the way I do that is that. I think we have to stop asking sort of what if, like, what are we going to do if this happens Mm -hmm. and saying like, let's plan that you're going to have a hard time. Right. And then when you have a hard time, we'll know that we've got a plan for it. If you don't have a hard time, then fine. It's impossible to cook a meal when you have a new infant. Right. Yeah. I still remember trying to cook with a baby Bjorn on my front and it's like the baby's head is right next to the stove and I'm trying to sort of hunch over and stir. I'm like, this is a bad idea. But like, I didn't, I don't think I stopped. I think right. I kept doing it, but I was like, this can't be what's supposed to be happening. But I right. like that, like just, and breaking it down into those little moments, like cooking, showering, laundry, um, personal time to like walk without anyone else or go somewhere. So there are resources online, you know, that you that they have these postpartum plans. Um, And, you know, you can Google that and it will, it will pop up Um, because there are things that you don't think to think about. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, maybe this is less of an issue now because a lot of people do their online um, grocery shopping. Oh yes. Um, But, you know, one of the things that was really helpful to me was I had a list of things and this was like, you know, once I'd had, I can't remember if I did it for my first, but I definitely did it for my second, my third. I had a very specific list with like what kind of yogurt my kids like to eat because, you know, if I send somebody to the grocery store, like, and they come back with the wrong kind of yogurt, that's not helpful for me. Right. Right. So like, you know, a very specific grocery list or, um, you know, if people say, how can I help say, well, these are the things that we need help with. Right. Well, I remember loving anything that was a drive-through, like Google things in your area that are drive-throughable, you know, like we have a drive-through vet, which is the best thing ever. And now I don't need it. But when you have a baby who's sleeping in the car, 
you don't want to get out of the car for anything. And I just, I remember thinking when I had a small child, like that is a good business idea. Make everything you need to do a drive-through option and you'll be good. Right. Um, No, I love that idea. And I'll try to find a link for those postpartum plans and try to add them to the show notes for this, because I think that would be really useful. Yeah, there are two, um, there are two, there are two websites that I really like, and I wrote them down um, to um, say, and now I can't find them in my notes. But what I would look for is, I would look for something I would, you know, positive postpartum plan. I'll, I'll look it up and um, and attach a link because I think that's that's a great idea. I didn't even really realize that was an option. Yeah, um, it, there are new moms groups in a lot of places. If you can find your way into a new a new moms group, that mm-hmm. is often um, a place that people find a lot of support. I did a stroller strides. Did you ever hear of that? It's like a little exercise thing with you bring your stroller and it just was a nice way to get out of the house and kind of move your body. I will say this is the the asterisk is just sort of like what you're saying with the, um, the, the Facebook groups or the, the groups about new parenting. When you go to these new groups, you kind of have to keep in mind, everybody's going to be parenting probably in different ways. And it's not just, and kind of filtering out the voices that don't for sure. For you know, sure. because that, that's tricky. So there's all, but there's also like new moms groups that are moderated by mental health professionals. Now I don't okay. know if they have them in, in everywhere, but I know, um, my first was born in DC and there was, there were a lot of them in that area. I'm in Boston now. And I know that they exist here in Boston. Um, you know, they might be run through like, you know, churches or synagogues. Um, they might be run through, um, different clinics, Um, And it's a little bit different than the kind of thing like stroller strides, which I also did, um, which is helpful because you can bring your baby and exercise and nobody cares if the baby starts screaming right right in the middle of, you know, the pushups or whatever it is. I should see if stroller strides would like to sponsor this um, podcast series. That would be a great (laughs) idea. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I didn't mention, in addition to doulas, I think that if you are interested in trying to... um, if you're interested in trying to breastfeed and it's a really personal thing, getting a relationship with a um, lactation consultant before you have the baby is really important because once you have the baby, you know, if you are interested in breastfeeding and you are struggling and most new moms struggle in some way, finding someone at that point is like an overwhelming, daunting task. Yeah. You know, I had, it feels like an emergency because you need it right away. And it's, I mean, they're not right. Emergency workers necessarily, you know, with my first, because he was in the NICU, I was also like totally freaked out that, you know, he had to have bottles. I had it in my head that like, you know, that was going to ruin him. Um, and it turned out that he and I had a really lovely breastfeeding relationship and he took bottles and he breastfed and it was terrific. Breastfeeding, I think also for me personally was one of the most surprising things about new motherhood because we see these, you know, photos of these like angelic looking babies and mamas and nobody tells you that it's actually exhausting and hard work and awkward. And, you know, some people don't, make enough milk. Some people make too much milk and it's just hard. Right. Um, and then with my second, with my second, um, 
the nurses in the labor and delivery were not lactation consultants. And I had a really hard time breastfeeding with him, but they kept telling me everything looked fine. But because I had the experience of knowing what fine actually felt like, I was able to advocate for myself. Mm -hmm. And it turned out that he was not, um, he was not latching correctly. Um, and so the lactation consultant that I had was able to teach him how to latch correctly. And we also went on to have a, you know, perfectly good breastfeeding relationship. Um, first son, I was like, oh, he can take a bottle and he can breastfeed. I assumed my second son was going to be able to do that. He never took a bottle and would, you know, literally wait for me all day long when I went to work. That was my second too. I wonder if it's something with the second <laughs> child. I mean, I was like, what is the deal? I would try to leave the house and I, I mean, it's right. sorry, sorry to interrupt your story, but that's no, just fine. interesting so, that it's the second also. Right. So, you know, I think it's a really good example though. Of like, I thought I was planning to be more flexible and he had different plans for us, you know, and, um, you know, so it's like each story doesn't go along according to plan. And if you are somebody who is used to being able to exit, you know, make a plan and execute it, it's really unnerving to not be able to do that. Right. Um, and so whoever you can get on board beforehand, doula, mother, mother-in-law, you know, whoever, cleaning people, you know, to come clean your house, um, lactation consultants, um, I think is a really, is a really good, a really good part of a plan to kind of figure out how to get the assistance you need. Right. Um, and okay. the last thing I would say is that if you really find that you're like really struggling and you, you really are convinced that you have, you know, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, um, or you've gotten a diagnosis from your, you know, your doctor, to try to find somebody who has a specialization in it is really important because there are um, lots of really well-meaning clinicians who might not know about this very specific subset of women's health. And it's just going to take longer for you to get the help that you need. Yeah. I was listening to a woman who is a psychologist and she did not have that subset specialization. And then when it happened to her, it was very jarring because she's like I'm a mental health professional and I it's not something that she was trained on you know and so now she is but um I think that's a really good point so I'm curious we're talking about self-care and this is my favorite question to ask at the end of each interview is what do you do for your own self-care to keep yourself healthy while you're juggling life um that I love that question um because it's something that I have really worked very hard to up my game and my mm -hmm. game is on point. Awesome. I can't wait to hear. <laughs> so I do a lot of, I do a lot of different things. Okay. Um, and I think the important piece is really paying attention to yourself because I think we need different things at different times. Um, so I'm a very social person and I spend a lot of time connecting with people. So I make sure to have time for me to connect with my friends on a very regular basis. Um, I also know that if I don't move my body regularly, 
I am a cranky person. Mm-hmm. So my kids know, you know, so I do a lot of different things and it varies. I go to boot camp, I go to stroller fit, or I go to yoga, I go running, whatever it is. Um, I think novelty is really important for all of us to try to get things that feel new um, because it's, it's exciting and it helps us to kind of break out of whatever rut we're in. Um, but like, for instance, my kids know, you know, when I'm going to yoga that like mama's going cause she's got to be able to, you know, she'll come back happier basically is what they know. Um, you know, and I'll get my nails done if I feel like that's important or, um, I, I meditate regularly. Um, but it really shifts depending on, um, what I need on a particular day. And, you know, for instance, um, like today, my I'm home actually with my 10-year-old who's sick. So my plan for this morning was to do all these different things to take care of myself, and that had to shift, you know. So I took a nice shower. I, blew, you know, blue-dried my hair and, um, like, made myself a really nice cup of coffee as a way of trying to, like, take care of myself so that I can spend the rest of the day taking care of him. I love that. And I love how you've sort of like cultivated your practice. You know, I think that that's what, why I love the question so much. And I love to hear what people are doing because it gives me ideas, but I think it's sort of an ongoing thing that maybe what worked for you in the past isn't working for you now. And so how can you shift that? And, and I, I think about it and I talk about it in my practice all the time because we, we, we don't plan for pleasure we plan for what we have to get done, right? Like I know so many people, I live and die by my calendar, right? But what's in that? Is it just meetings that you have to go to or places you have to be? Because if, if that's true, then you need to put in whatever it is, whether it's going to the sauna or going on a trip or, mm-hmm. you know, meditate, whatever it is, like the idea of pleasure planning right, is really important. And it is like all the more so important when you are in this stage of birthing a new mother and birthing a new family to really think about what is it that's going to bring me pleasure. Right. Well, and what I love about it is it doesn't have to be expensive. You know, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can be a hot shower or it can be a quiet time. I mean, sometimes just having some quiet is pleasurable. So Well, thank you so much. I love talking to you and I feel like you have so much insight on this topic. And it's, I think it's interesting talking to people that have had their own experiences and seen other people, you know, it just gives you a different level of understanding of some of the things that people might go through. So I am so thankful you took this time to talk with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been really fun. And, um, I hope it's helpful to, to folks who are listening because I think it's a really important topic that doesn't get nearly the airtime that it needs. For sure. And it's funny because I almost found myself resisting doing it, even though I know it needs to be, there needs to be, because I think it's my own stuff of what I went through. Like, oh, can't we just leave that alone? And I think that's what happens. People get through it and they kind of put a lid on it and tuck it away. And mm-hmm. I think we just need to make sure we're sharing these stories because it's going to help somebody else. It's really important work. And one thing, where can people find out more about you? Um, The best place is probably on my website, um, Dr. RBF. So D-R-R-B-F, my initials. Um, I'm on Instagram and, you know, Facebook and I have a blog. Um, 
and um, but that's probably like the best you can link into me on all of my social media through my website. All right, perfect. Well, I will make sure we have a link to that also with the show notes. But great. thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Family Brain Podcast. If you'd like to join the Family Brain community, you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and online, all of which is Family Brain Podcast. So hope you enjoyed this episode and keep listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.